Hi, and welcome back to the Cuvée Collective podcast. I'm Andrew Allison, CEO and co-founder of Cuvée Collective. This podcast series, Wine and Web 3, is about interviewing the movers and shakers in the wine industry. Today, I had the opportunity to interview Melanie Schaefer from Gloria Ferrer. Gloria Ferrer is an amazing champagne house. Melanie is the VP of DTC, which is direct-to-consumer relations for the brand. Gloria Ferrer has had a bunch of innovative work in progress on their consumer relations side. We sat down with Melanie to understand how she's been working to drive the brand forward with their consumer relations. We hope you enjoy the podcast as much as we enjoyed recording it. Cheers. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you for having us out at Gloria Ferrer this morning. It is a wonderful, crisp, bright, clear morning in the Carneros area of Sonoma Valley. We were able to see a bunch of amazing balloons this morning, and we were able to run the drone over the winery, and it was just awesome to be on the property so early. I would love to kick off with maybe just to have you introduce yourself, and then we could jump into the Gloria for our brand. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm Melanie Schaefer. I'm the vice president of DTC Sales and Marketing, so it encompasses quite a, a bit. Um, I've been in the wine industry on the direct-to-consumer side for about 12 years now, and I've had the privilege of working with some really great companies as Diageo and Treasury Wine Estates. And um, then I took a little year off during COVID, as which a lot of us did, and then I was brought to this property at the end of 2020. So um, throughout my career, I've been able to resurrect quite a few different brands and, and work with them. Um, Rosenblum was my first brand and, you know, iconic Zinfandel brand um, that really just needed a little TLC. So I spent about four years there, um, then moved my way up to Sterling Vineyards, which many of us in the wine industry know for the tram. Uh, spent about five years there. And that was a really fun property. And then um, been able to come here to Gloria Ferrer and work some of that magic here as well. So Wonderful. Well, that's, that's such an introduction. When it comes to the Gloria Ferrer brand itself, would be great to get an understanding when you stepped into your role, where the brand was at at the time and how it's evolved through those years. Yes. So... In all honesty, when I came to Gloria Ferrer, I didn't know much about Gloria Ferrer. And coming from the Napa, Cabernet, Zinfandel side of the business, um, coming to Sonoma and coming into Sparkling was, was a complete transition for me. But the brand itself was this a long, iconic, really rooted brand here in Carneros. And what I walked into was obviously covid first. Um, and the experience itself, what I would imagine, what I would say was, it was kind of generic. Um, everybody kind of got served the same exact experience when they came. And I, I really wanted to tailor that and have people um, really learn a little bit more, be fully educated on who we were and directionally where we are going. Um, so we've done a lot of work in all areas of direct to consumer, not just within the visitor centers, but, you know, and how we communicate with everybody outside of the visitor center as well. Um, so I like to, to, you know, we have obviously done like an entire revamp of the tasting room, which that's the easy part in all 
intents of purposes, but to re-educate the entire staff and to get them really focused on not just who we've been, but where we're going and be able to take that to our guests. And so when you came to the property and it, what it sounds like is you spent a lot of time maybe tearing out and developing the actual experiences when you come on site so you, you can drive that into different programs. And I know you've developed a, a large culinary program since you've, you've been here. Also, there were some other things that we had talked about about this brand in past conversations, but your direct-to-consumer business is actually massive compared to other brands itself. And so maybe we can go into both of those. Just let, let's stay on the tasting room for a second. So the tasting room originally was uh, a, a much smaller piece of the property. And now now it's a huge, like the, the room that we're in today is uh, beautiful and, and massive. But maybe you can e explain just the building out the tasting room and what your thoughts were through that yeah. process. So, you know, the tasting room is, it's a big footprint and right. And what I wanted to do in the, within the tasting room was create smaller little vignettes where people, although we're in a, a big space can feel like they're just with their party and it's, a, it feels smaller and more intimate. So we've done that here, you know, in the main tasting room, we kind of followed that out into our large terrace, which is everybody comes here to see a view. Um, so you can see that as well out there, these smaller little vignettes. But then we've expanded our property um, for tasting as well. And so we've opened up the Oak Grove, which is beautiful little patios underneath our big oak trees. Um, we created another space called Willow Springs, which is a larger piece of our property for picnics and events that's down right in the middle of the vineyard uh, by our pond. Uh, we have our pavilion area, which overlooks the vineyards as well. And that's where we really kind of do our, our Carneros experience, which is an experience dedicated to sh introducing you to the brand. So if you're brand new to maybe even Carneros, you're brand new to Sparkling, you're brand new to Gloria Ferrer, it's a really great experience to just kind of say, what is this all about? Yeah, that, right. that makes sense. And I, I've always personally struggled with the higher volume tasting rooms where you feel like you're in a room with so many people. And I, I think you guys have done a, a really, it's elegant where the, you could have all these essentially like areas where you've broken them out so you can go have your own private time with your own group and not feel like you're just a number being churned through the, right. the funnel. Um, when you actually spent that time developing out the tasting room you added a culinary program to the menu. What, what were the thought processes in that? That must have been something that was totally foreign. It was a new muscle group for the business to learn. Like how how do you make the cost benefit analysis to take that risk? Yeah, well, it was definitely foreign to Gloria Ferrer, um, but not foreign to me. I think which was a good thing. Um, I've been in hospitality for twenty five years. And so I've owned my own restaurant and everything. So for me, it felt very natural to bring food and wine together. Um, I hate to say it, but it's it's the direction that everybody's kind of going, right? Because every wine brand is trying to figure out how to introduce a little bit of culinary. Um, so it just, it felt like the timing was right. You know, COVID, we were... We had less guests in here. Um, I had the opportunity. There was a lot of really great chefs out there. There was, you know, the the timing was just really good. We didn't have a hundred, you know, thousand people or anything visiting the property. So um, the team was open to learning th new things. 
and it just it just felt like the right moment. And right. when you looked at developing the culinary program itself, I mean, we're not just talking a charcuterie board. We're no. we're talking about something that is a a very high end experience. Maybe maybe you could just talk about the 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 stages or, or yep. some of the offerings in the culinary program with the wine pairing. Yeah, I mean, cheese and charcuterie. Let's face it, that's a natural thing, right? But one of my goals within the uh, culinary program was to show how sparkling wine can be paired with a lot of different foods. And that doesn't just need to be used and drank during celebratory times, but you can have a sparkling wine with your steak on Friday night if you choose to do so. So, you know, we have a five-course food and wine experience here that changes seasonally. We try to use as much of our steak gardens as possible. Uh, We've expanded those here in 2023 already, and we're really excited about that. Um, brunch, right? It's a natural thing, thing to have brunch and sparkling. So in the summertime when the, when the weather's nicer and you can sit on the terrace, we also have a five-course brunch pairing, um, which is really kind of interesting because we bring a lot of seafood into that. And, you know, it's not just your good old bacon and eggs and some sparkling. Um, we do a lot of private stuff as well, like lunches, um, high-end corporate dinners, um, we've done menus up to eight to 12 courses already. Wow. So, you know, our goal, like I said, was really to showcase the um, selection of sparkling that we have and how it can pair with several different types of cuisines, heavy to light. So when you look back at your time with the Gloria for our brand, there must have been a couple inflection points where you're like, wow, I'm rowing the boat out here and taking a risk on this unearned credibility yet and now you've looked back and you've clearly earned the credibility through all the progressive steps you've taken with the brand what were the points where you felt like you were taking a risk that panned out well I would say the culinary program in itself was somewhat of a risk Um, although we have great culinary facilities here um, it's we're still limited in what we can do and we've had 30 years of not doing anything culinary. Mm -hmm. And when you look at a lot of the sparkling houses um, or any of the, you know, wineries even next door to us here, not a lot of them are focused on it, right? So you're seeing this happening more of the Cabernet houses, but not within the sparkling houses. So to get people to really think like, oh, I'm going to go to a sparkling house and have a five course food and wine experience, it's taken some time to grow it. Um, the other thing that, you know, we have a reserve tasting where we really focus on our extended tourage wines. And again, that's like a taste profile that you really have to be open to because it's, it's a little bit different. They're not as crisp. They're not as acid driven. They're not, you know, they're a little bit different in style. Um, so, but we launched that and we're, we're amazed by the amount of people that are really actually interested in tasting older vintages of sparkling you know and so maybe just some future looking things what are some of the headwinds that you think is going to be challenging in the direct-to-consumer category for the wine industry in general and then the sparkling category as well I think in general capturing that new audience is always a headwind right and how do we communicate and there's a so much noise out there right it, we use digital obviously there's print media there's there's uh, you know opportunities like this but how do we cut through 
all of it and get to an actual consumer that wants to come here and learn something and appreciate it. Uh, I think that's going to be continue to be a headwind. There's a lot of competition out there. Um, we're all kind of in that same avenue, right? It's wine, whether it's sparkling or red, it's wine. Um, although the, the customer base that is drinking wine is growing, it's still, how do I become relevant? How do I become the brand that people want to experience? Um, so I, I, I definitely think that that is going to continue to be a headwind for us. Um, for Gloria Ferrer, I, I can see one of the other headwinds we're going to have is the sheer number of people that are starting to want to come and visit the property and yet keeping that intimacy. Um, before I got here, a thousand people a day was normal. And I just don't think that that's the right experience for Gloria Ferrer. Um, so how do we continue to allow and provide people the space for the intimate experiences, but yet, you know, um, have enough opportunity at the same time? I think that that is going to be a headwind. Um, and then just, you know, sheer growth. I mean, the, the hospitality industry, COVID, you know, definitely had an effect on it. So there's a lot of people within the industry that were here in 2019 that are no longer here. And so how do we bring in that new workforce, that new team, and get them passionate about the brand? Um, and from, a, from a staffing, so, from a from staffing, a sta yeah. from a staffing solution. I mean, everybody's feeling it, right? Like you go to a restaurant, you probably see it and totally. feel it. You go to, even to your local gas station convenience store, you see it, you feel it, right? Um, Within, within the type of hospitality that we're doing, though, we're, we're looking for somebody that can not only deliver a level of hospitality, but it's service and education and sales. So it's different than just going to a restaurant where you know why the customer is there. They're there to eat. Right. They're there to drink. Right. But a customer that comes here, they want to learn something as well. So it's, would, it's different. And what have been some of the, the most successful ways to reach those consumers off property? And are there certain things that your brand does on the road or in other avenues or working with distributors in a certain way? Well, I would say obviously working with you is one of those ways that we're looking at <laughs> Thanks, expanding <Cuvée>. that. <laughs> Cuvée Collective Great. plug. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're looking at trying to meet our customers where they are. So 2023, we're definitely looking at going out more into the market um, and having some high-end wine dinners with great restaurant partners that we have from our wholesale side, but also then bringing that direct-to-consumer customer to them, introducing it, so meeting them physically even where they are. Uh, that's going to be a focus of ours in 2023. Um, digitally, we, we definitely are continuing to look at the, what we're doing on from a digital standpoint. And um, I would say growing more of an experience digitally, video, um, you know, a small educational little videos, you know, things that we can take to your home. Yeah. Uh, virtual experiences will continue to be something that we do. We've been very successful with it. And let's, let's face it, not everybody can get here to California. So meet you in your home. That, that's going to be a focus of ours as well. Um, you know, it, it takes a big team, so I'm lucky to have a big team that's 
constantly thinking outside the box as to how we can get to that customer. Yeah, no, that's incredible. Maybe just one last wrap up question for me. And my question is really around what do you think is going to be some of the key drivers for direct to consumer relationships in the next like one to three years? Um, I think utilizing video is going to be huge. Um, utilizing more partnerships is going to be a large thing. The partnership we have with you, we're working on a couple others. Um, those are going to be huge, right? To share that customer base. Um, from a site here, I think one of our our large drivers will continue to be the culinary program. Are and there ambitions for a Michelin star? There's always ambitions, but I think to date there's only one winery that's even received one. So yeah. it's it's a big feat. You got to plant the flag. <laughs> I got to plant. Yeah, you have the goal, but um, continuing to grow that program uh, in other ways is is definitely so investing um, in the levers that are working and trying yeah. trying a few new ones. Yeah. No, that's great, and thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed coming out and seeing you again. We're very excited to announce our Valentine's Day drop with you guys. So we'll be announcing all of that. But thanks so much. You're welcome. Did we miss anything? Mm, no, I don't think so. Cody? I think that's good for here. Are, are we too short on time? I mean, you could maybe do one more I, question. I think, but I what, think the only thing I think might be worth going back to is maybe like revisiting and explaining for people listening what the what the initial experience is with like the the Gloria Ferrera team just so it turns into like another plug for that okay um, and we're doing Carneros experience right so this is for the original oh actually. for the original yeah actually. so it's like the you know the luncheon down at the pond and, yep uh, what was the allocation of wine what was it Brut Rosé never said it so I don't feel like you need to say it yeah you don't yeah. God. Okay. Three bottles of wine. Um, we we didn't go into too much about the brand. Just looking back at my questions, do do you want to share more about the brand? Um, I I can tee you up with a question like, could you just introduce the glory for a brand? And you like we're a sparkling house. We're known for this, yeah. that, and that. I think that would be terrific to like then put at the very beginning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just so for anyone who has never heard about Gloria Ferrer, like we assume people do because we know, but. Yeah, maybe we, maybe we just. And we would then put whatever this is right after your introduction to yourself. Yeah. All right, cool. I'm still getting used to talking about the Spanish heritage, but let me <laughs> just kick me really long ways yeah. if you're like, Mel, you're off. Yeah, just She just rattles it off so easily. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for the introduction to yourself. Could you just introduce the Gloria Ferrer brand and what you're known, known for? Yeah, so Gloria Ferrer uh, was founded in 1984 by Jose and Gloria Ferrer. Um, they are from the Catalonia area of Spain, so just right outside of the Barcelona. And they came here in 1984 and the reason they kind of landed here was it feels terroir-wise, weather-wise, very much so like home. And they had always, it was actually Jose's father that had a dream of having a winery here in the States. So 1986, they opened the tasting room. 
and they've planted all of what we would call our home ranch here. So, so we have all state fruit. And a couple years later, they acquired another ranch called Circle Bar Ranch. That's about a mile and a half away from us right now. So 99% of our wines are produced with estate fruit. And I say that because you never know. You might have to go and get a little bit of something here and there, depending upon the weather. Um, but, you know, they're the first winery of Carneros, sparkling winery of Carneros. And it was really important for them to be a Pinot Noir-driven um, sparkling house. So they have that Spanish heritage. Uh, they have many, many years of winemaking expertise behind them um, with their wineries in Spain. And they brought all of that here to the U.S. And here we are today. Awesome. 1984, they were founded. 86, they were open. All right, I guess we're redoing it. Okay. I mean, we can keep 84, but... Then you guys should probably double-check the website, because this website... It's 82, because we just celebrated 40. I know, but on the website, we have 83 listed. Just to know. Um, we... Do we just want to take that from the top? Yeah. We're totally sure. sure. Well, thank you so much for the introduction to yourself. I would love to just get an understanding of the Gloria Ferrer brand. Could you introduce the brand and where it's come from? Yeah. So Gloria Ferrer was founded in 1982 by Jose and Gloria Ferrer. And they came from the Catalonia area of Spain, so just outside of Barcelona. And both of them together have many generations behind them of sparkling winemaking. And it was actually Jose's father that had a dream of owning a winery here in the U.S. And so they started their search and they came upon the Carneros area, which felt very much so like home. The terroir here was very similar, the weather, and they needed a place to obviously do sparkling wine. That was what they, um, you know, were, that's where their family had come from. So 1986, they opened the tasting room here. And throughout 82 to, you know, up till then, they were planting our estate vineyards here. And then they acquired another uh, vineyard right down the road called Circle Bar. And so we're 99% estate grown fruit. And we are a Pinot Noir driven house. And we also grow some Chardonnay and just one tiny little block of Pinot Blanc. Um, we are the first sparkling winery of Carneros. And, you know, we really focus on Pinot Noir-driven sparkling. And we do have a very small little um, still wine program as well with some Pinot Noirs and Chardonnays. That's amazing. And many people don't realize how big Gloria Ferrer's property is. But for yourselves to be a, a state f fruit, um, it's huge. It's massive. There's hundreds of acres of... Uh, Pinot and everything to produce amazing sparkling. So it's uh, it's understated, but not um, not commonly seen that somebody can source all of their fruit from their own farm. So that's amazing. Yes, yes. You know, normally a lot of people will go out and they'll work with growers and you know maybe the neighbor and acquire fruit. But uh, we actually have our own vineyard team. 
Some of them have been here over 30 years. Some of them planted the initial vineyards even. And that helps us really keep the quality where we need to. Um, we are able to farm all organically, which is really important for us. Um, sustainability is a key focus for us entirely, not just what happens in the vineyards, but throughout our entire business. And it's because we're able to keep our team here uh, that we're able to have that focus. Amazing. And on a quick opportunity to highlight the NFT collection that we ran in Q4 of last year in 2022, could you just highlight what comes with that NFT collection and what that day is looking like? I know there were only 25 NFTs available, and we just wanted to take that opportunity to just touch on why that day is going to be so special. Yeah, so with the NFT, everybody's receiving a three-pack of our um, winery-exclusive sparkling wines. And then everybody will be coming out to have a lunch in Willow Springs, which is this beautiful area set right in the middle of our vineyards, uh, right alongside our pond. And we'll have our senior vice president of winemaking, uh, Harry Hansen, there, as well as our vineyard director, Brad Kurtz, um, help, you know, leading that um, lunch. So you'll be able to really hear and see, because it'll be right next, you'll be right next to the vineyards, um, our, you know, how we approach farming, um, you know, how we approach winemaking and, and just really spend an afternoon with the two of them um, in a, at a very exclusive spot on our property. And, and I think you touched on it right there at the end. When we started talking about what we could potentially do for Gloria Ferrer as an NFT collection, we always wanted to lead with something that was exclusive to our community. And we felt really excited about that idea when you brought that idea forward and we jumped on it. I think it was one of our first date specific NFT collections and we're very excited to have that roll out. So we've, it sounds like we've picked the date. It's going to be in May. It sounds like it's going to be May 6th tentatively. So we'll, uh, we'll be excited to see all of our NFT holders coming together on that date. Yeah. So that'd be great.